DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the Church, is one of the principal documents of the Second Vatican Council. This dogmatic constitution was promulgated by Pope Paul VI on the 21st of November, 1964, following approval by the assembled bishops by a vote of 2,151 to 5. As is customary with significant Roman Catholic Church documents, it is known by its incipit, Lumen Gentium, Latin for Light of the Nations. The eight chapters of the document can be paired thematically. Chapters 1 and 2 treat the Church's nature and historical existence. Chapters 3 and 4 treat different roles in the Church. Chapters 5 and 6 treat holiness and religious life, while chapters 7 and 8 discuss the saints and Mary. We now continue with part 2 of our conversation on Lumen Gentium with Archbishop George Lucas. Now they do take a good section of the dogmatic constitution on the church to help break open in that mystery of the church, the hierarchy. Some people may say hierarchy or for whatever reason as a negative. I think it's absolutely wonderful. We need order. I, I think that is a really important thing for us to embrace. And yeah, so much of our experience is, is with democratic processes, you know, and yeah. it's fine, but the, but the church isn't a democracy. It's not the way the, the Lord constituted it. And there is authority, and there is structure. It's not a rigid structure in the sense of stifling, but rather the gifts that are given to members of the hierarchy are given for the enlivening of, of the church and, and for a, a deeper possibility to, uh, to experience the, the life and the presence of the, of the risen Christ in the church. If I could compliment the Lord himself, you know, he doesn't need me, me to do it, but it's you know, part of his genius in constituting the church was, was to entrust special responsibility in the church to, to pastors who form the, the hierarchy so that we really can experience uh, ourselves as, as a people, and not simply a, a mob or a mechanism, but, but that we have living pastors who, who Jesus sends in his own person, sacramental living representations of Jesus, who, who can love the church, guide the church, deal with the changing times, the, the changing culture. So that's the, you might say, the simplest way of putting the role of the hierarchy, to make sure that, that the church can remain herself alive and on her toes, not become hidebound or simply mechanistic or just become anything, right? Anybody want 
we might ask ourselves, you know, how did the Church of Jesus Christ, how did the gospel, the experience of life in the church, the sacraments, all that, that's our experience of, of the church, how did that get to us here in Nebraska, you know, in, in the 21st century? How is that? How could that be possible? Well, it's God's design, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are way better at it than others, uh, but there, there have been pastors in the life of the church in every generation who can help us be understand what we must hold fast to. What are the teachings of the church, the will of God for us in, in Jesus Christ that can't compromise, we, we can't live up to them perfectly, but we, we hold fast to them. But then what are the ways we can be flexible? And what are the needs that we must bend to meet, you might, you might say? Who are the people now, are the circumstances in our culture that, that require a, a different response, not a different teaching, not a different Jesus, but a, an enfleshed response that, that's different, that can, can meet people where they are. So that's really the, you might say, the secret that Jesus has built into the church, not a secret really, from Pentecost till now and, and in, until the end of time, that we're steadfast where we need to be steadfast and we're flexible where we can be and, and where it's important to do that. And that requires judgment. That requires prudence that only people can have. Uh, we, we can't do it by a formula and we can't just put it all in a machine and see what it spits out. So the Lord chose first his, his apostles. Those of us who are pastors today might look at ourselves in the mirror and think, he, you know, he, he might have come up with a, a better criteria over all these years. They were imperfect to start with, and we still are. Uh, again, I don't say that lightly, but, but the Holy Spirit is at work in, in this structure, this hierarchy, whose purpose, really, who, whose role is to, to pastor the, the flock of, of Jesus Christ in practical ways in the various places where the finds herself. Yeah, that whole understanding about the people of God is essential before we go into this area of the hierarchy, but also the laity, because establishes that because of that relationship that we have with Christ and his activity in the world, his outreach to the world, we all have our part to play in it. And so for me, for example, as a mother, I tried to be the best mother I could be, but I have not been the perfect mother. <laughs> I wished I could. I, I tried, but there are times where I could not do that. And in different aspects, my husband would step in, and he would wanted the same aspirations for our children, but sometimes it's not always that easy. We did the best that we can. Even those who serve in the roles in those churches, what we might call the institutional church, that structure, it's the same type of thing. Everybody, I think, has a good intention of heart, but not every mother is going to be the best mother. Not everybody's going to be the best father, but we're doing on this pilgrim journey, we're doing what we can. That can be a real struggle because I think sometimes with a hierarchy, we hold them to a higher standard. We should hold them to a proper standard. None of us is perfect either. You know, this whole understanding of the people of God is that whatever we're doing, we shouldn't think we're going to do it alone and do it well. So I have a different responsibility in the church than you do. We both have important important ones. But for a diocesan pastor, it doesn't make sense and it's not good for the church for me to think that I'm the source of all wisdom and experience and that where prudential judgments are, are really needed in terms of the pastoring of the church, that, that I would, even after praying, must do always, but th that I would just kind of pop off and make my own decisions or make this pronouncement or, or, or whatever. But because I understand uh, the, the church as the people of God and that all of God's people have gifts that are God-given that, that are for the, the enrichment of the church, there, there are lots of people that I can talk to, consult, pray with, to come to um, a pastor, if there's an important pastoral decision 
uh, that, that that's needed. And as you say, you know, the marriage is designed that way too. So you you can't be the perfect uh, spouse, perfect parent. You have your husband to work with you in that. And no matter when we do this, it's never perfect. But then we, we also have the support of neighbors, of parishioners. of, uh, And so the whole operation doesn't depend on you. The holiness of the church, the power of the church doesn't rise and fall on you, but you're a part of it. It doesn't rise and fall on me either. We have one Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we also have each other. And, and that really, it's not just how it is, but it's a great gift. And once we understand it, I think we can relax a little bit. You know, no matter what our responsibilities are, there are others who are with me. There's this other image here of the pilgrim people, and, and we're, we're traveling uh, this way together with, with others who have, who have other gifts, but the same Savior and the lo- same love for Jesus. Gosh, then it, when you describe it that way, then things like forgiveness, striving for virtue, reconciling, all those different types of things that's the, the dynamic of the, of the community. If the members strive for that, then it makes this passage so much easier, but it's our light along the way, isn't it? Yeah, it may be easier, maybe not on a given day, but it's, it's life-giving. We don't want to lose anybody along the way. So it, it keeps us from, even in our weakness, sometimes we just fall short because we're limited. Sometimes we choose things selfishly. But the pilgrimage continues, and... It's the desire of Jesus, and it's the work of the church not to have anybody be lost. And for us to be aware of, of those who are vulnerable and weak and, and suffering, particularly the people Jesus was always drawn towards, those are also valuable members of our church. We, people have different competencies, people have different roles, different experiences. But each member is, is the delight of, of the Lord's eye, you know, and part of those people whom, who God himself has claimed. Claimed with the gift of his son. It's not a small thing. It's, it's huge. Just to comprehend that a billion people in the world are Catholic. A billion. And that's not enough. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, Good for you. Yeah, so, no, no but I, I, yeah. I'm not uh, arguing, you know. That, yeah, sure. That, yeah, there are a billion. So we think well, there's a billion of us, and we read what Lumen Gentium tells us about the mystery and the, the power and the, the vitality of the church. And next week, there ought to be two, two billion. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, this should be so attractive. The love of God so visible, uh, so experienced so practically in the in, in the love of, of other Christians. So we really see how weak we are. <laughs> so today, as we you know read the, the documents of the Second Vatican Council, we see that this wasn't just a moment in time. You know that was captured in these documents. They have been written to teach, but but also to stir us up to realize that uh, we have a mission. We're we're part of the mystery of Jesus Christ, which is not a dead letter. And, and the mission isn't finished yet. Okay, we reached a billion. That's, that's our goal. Well, uh, the goal is to, to bring the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth and to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us in that. We don't know how many people that's going to include ultimately. And we, we know it's, success doesn't just depend on our effort or our salesmanship or, or some human quality like, like that. So it's big, beautiful that so many people have heard the good news and, and received it. Uh, there's another generation coming. There's so many of our neighbors who really don't claim any religious affiliation at all. So maybe they don't have heard about Jesus. Maybe they haven't, effectively. So there's still part of this mystery is begging to be revealed and, and, and shared in our time and, and not too far from where we live. In this dogmatic constitution on the church, they're not afraid to address the question, is there salvation outside the church? And what does that look like? Because you're right, there are 
billions of others that are may not consider themselves a part of the church as we understand it. Yeah, it's a part of the church as she understands herself. You know, as I said, there is integrity, so it's not just, the church isn't just anything. Right, so I think that we do have that, the sort of settled question that there is salvation in, in union with Jesus Christ, and that's our joy and our hope. It's a, always a hard experience when we lose somebody that we love in death, but when we think, if it's somebody we know or, or care about, somebody in our family who died with other people around and died with the sacraments, what do we think is happening there? Something very beautiful and powerful, and God's promise is, is being fulfilled uh, for them. You know, we can't say exactly next minute this person's in heaven, but what else would we want for that person, and what, what else could we give? So that's a great consolation and a kind of a sure hope. We might say, but what about somebody else? So somebody who hasn't met Jesus or maybe has met him and wandered away, somebody who hasn't had the, the benefit of the sacraments, maybe because they've taken that offer seriously to participate, or maybe just it's never been, there hasn't been an offer, they haven't received it. So the, the Council Fathers talk about that we have the fullness of the life of grace in, in our experience in the church, and we can be confident in what we experience. But having said that, we also know God's action is not limited. It's sure there in, in the church, but we can't say, well, God, you said you're just going to do this, and you're not going to do anything else. We know that God hasn't created anyone for death. God wants us to live and to live forever. And is can, through the power of the death and res- resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the act by which redemption comes to the world and, f- and for the world, can that be mediated to people in other ways? And I think we say, yes. Exactly how that works, we, we don't know. We can say more how it works in the church. Works isn't the best way, but, but you know how we experience it. We can't say for sure, but the power of Jesus' redemption is, is not limited. Having said that, all the more reason for us to want to share this blessing with others who receive it. We don't want to beat people over the head with it or cram it down anybody's throat. It's been we've seen sad episodes in the in history where the even members of the church, even the even members of the hierarchy, would sort of impose the try to impose the life of the church on people against their will, against their freedom. So none of that, but continuing to offer life in Christ as a gift as many people as, as we possibly can in the way that we can. So again, you, as a wife and mother, you can do that differently from, from, the, from the way that, that I do it, but it's the responsibility of all of us that, and should be the joy of all of us. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. We're called to bring Christ out into the world, bring that light into the world. We don't have the power to affect a change in the human heart. All we can do is be the bearer of the light and to do it authentically and to trust that great love and that light that, okay, we're called to faithfulness and into that joy and to demonstrating that. And he knows more than we do. And he created them. Uh, he'll uh, deal with them in his way, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So sure. And, and so I think, you know, the Council of Fathers wanted to, to address the, what would be the false notion mm-hmm. that, you know, un- unless you're baptized and follow the teachings of the church and follow the disciplines of the church, you, you, you know, you can't be saved. It's a subtle thing to talk about because the, the, the church makes a difference. The church makes all the difference in the, in the world and membership in the church makes all the, all the difference for us. But we st- still are, are left with this understanding of, of the love of God for all people and the desire for the salvation of, of souls who may not have had the opportunity 
to come to know Jesus Christ through no fault of their of their own, but who respond to the law of God that's written on every human heart to make their best choices, live not just for themselves but 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 for others. A very human but but rich response to, to the to the grace that that is is being offered to everyone in in some way to to grow into the the women and, and we have been created to be. Yeah, I just remember myself again as that 19-year-old being able to be a part of a family. I remember looking out, I didn't know anyone in the church, and yet I felt that I was a part of something much bigger. And receiving the sacraments and everything, there was like a complete immersion into, as now they describe it, that fullness of communion and that's what we want to bring people into. I mean, that's why we continue to mission. And you, it, it never stops. You never continue to, to try to bring that light of love, his love, God's love, him, out into the world. Yeah, unfortunately, some would look to what the Council Fathers teach here and see there a reason or an excuse not to be missionary or not to be missional. And to say, well, what, it doesn't make a difference. God will take care of people in his own way. So right. in the church, out of the church, it doesn't make any difference. Well, it makes, kind of makes a huge difference. And the life in Christ in the church is the full way to experience already the, the fruits of redemption and to enjoy this confident hope that our pilgrimage is leading us to the fullness of life in, in the kingdom of God. It's the Lord's desire that we know him now and that we begin to experience life in him now, and that we, that we get on this pilgrimage and begin to live this already, and not to take that casually once the invitation has, has been issued. Say, that, well, it doesn't matter. I think I'll just say, no, thanks. Well, it does matter. And exactly how it matters and what difference it all makes, we can't say for sure. We know we, don't, we can't tie God's hands and his desire and ability to extend the gift of salvation, the gift of redemption in Son Jesus in other ways. But this is the sure and full way to know it and, and to experience it. Yeah, I can't help but think of that um, the parable of the, the servants who were sent out to go bring everyone to the banquet. All I know is that my job is to, he wants me to go try to bring as many people to that great banquet that can be found within our church, that is the fullness of the banquet. That's what we are called to do. And they'll be attracted and want to come because of the love, not because we're having a whip and trying to whip them to come. That will repel people faster than a, a joyful, loving invitation. Right, because we love them for their own sake. And uh, they see how we love one another, but they also experience us loving them. And love is something that often begins in small ways, you know, and, and, and begins to, to grow. I think it's what we're learning now, more in the church, we're seeing the necessity of it and realizing that, that we can learn how to do it, to, to go out and, and meet our neighbors and, and to get to know them, to befriend them, to, to share meals, to share good company before we begin the work of you know, offering them the gift of life in, in Christ in the church. We don't hesitate to do it when the, we'd be ready for it and, and when they're open. And we ne- never want to be shy about, our own, about the witness of what it's meant to us. But there is a sort of a method of do that that involves prayer, it involves invitation, it involves befriending others. And, and up until now, Catholics often haven't been so good at that, haven't really seen that it's our responsibility. The faith has passed very uh, strongly from one generation to the next, but that's not happening now, clearly, in the way that it would have you know, happened a century ago. 
And so we discover, again, in the documents of the, of the Second Vatican Council, as we do in the, in the New Testament, this missionary impulse, which really is a responsibility given to all of us, that the church be outgoing. We talked earlier about the church building. You know, the, the, we don't live in the, in the building. Uh, so we celebrate the most important thing we do all week when we, when we celebrate the Mass, and then we're sent out on mission to share the, the light of the gospel, the mystery of, of Jesus with, with others. And that's everybody's, everybody's responsibility. And it can be done, and we can learn how to do it better. I think we're trying to, to do that here in, the, in this archdiocese and, uh, with, and seeing the fruitfulness of it and, the, um, in a sense, the fun of it. Mm, I like that, the fun of it, the joy of it. And, you know, we could spend so much time on this particular dogmatic constitution on the church. But before we leave, and with the greatest encouragement to our listeners to go out and just find the document, you can get it in books, you can find it online at vatican.va, that universal call to holiness, the call to holiness, that was a huge standout in this particular document when it came out and was presented to the to the church that all of us are called to grow in holiness no exceptions no exceptions uh, sometimes if, when somebody's criticizing the church to me if it's somebody i know well enough i, I, I just ask well what are you doing about it you, you know we all have our responsibility and some things that could, we could complain about but you're right it's universal no exceptions all of these different aspects that are covered in this document go, go well together so the understanding of the people of god a pilgrim people and then the, the, this universal call to holiness, that this is for all of us who have been called to, to be members of the, of the church, to contribute to the vitality of the church, to take on in our rightful way the priestly role of, of the church, to, to, be, to be prayerful, to be charitable. Uh, that's, that belongs to, to all of us, and there's no reason why we can't do it. You know, Jesus doesn't ask the impossible of us. He asks us to do what's right before us, you, you might say, and you know, to notice the beggar at the gate right in front of us, and uh, as an expression of love, which is the heart of the holiness that, that we're talking about, to offer what, what we have to offer and to believe that, that that God will strengthen and multiply that and make it something fruitful. And, and that call of holiness is not something that we just do or make happen. It's something that we participate in, our own growth, through God, the act, the act of life of grace in our lives, but also, and then out in the world amongst others even in a religious community. So we have this great tradition of designating some of our members as saints. In some ways, it's, it's a very special group, of course. They're not so different from us, and, and they're, they're saints in every, they come in all shapes and sizes and, and vocations. And so we look to them not to say, oh, gosh, I could never be like that, but to, but to say, well, that's possible. And the, the saints, canonized saints, but others who have gone before us, you know, who, who are with the Lord, part of the church, so that the church extends into heaven and the, the fullness of, of the kingdom of God, those saints, they want us to have what they have. <laughs> so they're interceding for us and they're praying for us. They're cheering us on. But really, we're to understand that we're not to be different from, from them or to be like them. And it's our, we want to choose to do it, but it's also, it's possible. And it's, it's God's design. I have this beautiful well, it's not so beautiful. Maybe it's kind of, it's, it seems maybe sort of a pedestrian, but it's a, this uh, the hymn when the saints go marching in. You know, I think it's a beautiful image. Blessed Mother's leading the parade and it extends in, into eternity. But we all want to be in that number of the saints, and it's meant for everybody. It's not as privileged people, saints. So that's that's the universal call to holiness. The universal call to be more like Jesus, 
to be conformed more to him, to be more charitable, to be more, more faithful, more generous, so that when we're set out, when people encounter a disciple of Jesus Christ, a member of the church, they have the experience of, of meeting Jesus himself. He, he, he rubs off on us in, in our life of the church. There is that wonderful last portion, not last in any regards at the, the least, but probably the great example, as you said, leading us, the Blessed Virgin Mary. I would, again, highly recommend anybody who has ever struggled with why Mary to start there, to, to go to that last portion of the, of the uh, dogmatic constitution on the church and read that, that lovely, lovely section that sometimes gets lost amongst all the other, the, the rich banquet. I mean, she really is the, the par excellence, isn't she? Yeah, she's at the head of the, the parade of, of saints, you might say. And, she, and she's not equal to her son, we might say. And she, we have one, one redeemer, this one who's head of the church. But she, she's something that Jesus isn't. She's a mother. And so there's a, a way to understand our life in the church and the call to holiness, uh, our relationship with Jesus in our relationship with Mary that, that we don't get any other way. And it's kind of the gift of Jesus to us. He, he gave us Mary as our mother when he was dying on the cross. And we're, we're glad we have her. I'll take her. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Any final thoughts, Archbishop? Uh, just to repeat what you said, you know, that uh, I would encourage our listeners to, to pick up the, the document and, and, and read it. It's a dogmatic constitution. It sounds very serious. And it's talking about some of the most important things that we know to be true, but it's very understandable, and it's really good for, for meditation. As I said earlier, what I'm struck by as I read again the, the documents of the Second Vatican Council is how much we're not like what, what they're describing. So I, I think there's just so much growth that is possible for us that would really be joyful and fruitful in our time if we could take this, kind of this articulation of the Church's understanding of herself, guided by the Holy Spirit, really take that to heart. And then imagine, well, where do I fit into that? And, and what more could I receive? And what more could I offer? You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to bring authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.